Welcome to the Weight Pool Mag podcast. My name is Brian Dickerson. Today, our very special guest is Yuna Kim, and she was instrumental in bringing Wave Park, South Korea, online and available to the public. Yuna, welcome to the show. Uh, hi, Brian. Thanks for having me. So so stoked to uh, to have you join us. And can you can you tell our listeners uh, give us a, give us a little background about yourself? My background is all about languages. So Korean is my mother tongue languages and English is my go-to professional languages. And I major in translation and interpretation during my master's and PhD. So I started my work as subtitling translator for the films that featured on the film festivals or the TVs or Disney+. Plus. Then in 2018, I joined the company of the parent company of the Wave Park in Korea. So that's that's when I started my journey for the surf pool industry. Wow. And and so the company that you're working for to bring Wave Park online and get it up and pumping out waves, are there going to be more wave pools? I, I know that's jumping ahead of myself, but can we look forward to other wave pools? Does Korea need them? Other wave pools in Korea? Yes, uh, exactly. Uh, you know that um, for my personal opinion that Korea is like in really small peninsula, but I'm sure we needed more than one wave pool because I myself am uh, living just south part of the Korea and the wave park is located at the west coast of the north part of the Korea. So I have to travel like five, five hours by driving or three hours by train. So I definitely think that there, we need more than one wave pool in Korea. Yes, and you were telling me that you're driving to Yingying this weekend to go surfing. And yes. How long of a drive is that? Uh, that's like end of south to the end of north of Korea. So I have to drive uh, at least five hours. But in five hours time of driving, you can cross the entire country, correct? Yes, I can cross the entire country, yes. <laughs> And I found that when we were at Wave Park, a lot of people there had driven from all across Korea to to surf mm -hmm. the wave. Do you find that when you go to Wave Park, you have a session that people are from all over Korea, or yes. just from or, or just from uh, Seoul? Uh, because of its location, just near the Seoul, like an hour away from Seoul, most people are coming from Seoul or just near capital areas, but but I still see some people from traveling from Jeju Island or south part of Korea. Yes. Okay. And then as to bring, uh, you have to help me with the pronunciation. I always say Si-Hang Si. And yes. uh, how do you say it in Korean? It's Si-Hung-Si. That sounds way better. So to bring this wave park yeah. here, to bring this technology to this particular part of Korea, can you tell our listeners how how that process worked? You had to communicate with Wave Garden, and once the company had found the location, there was a lot involved uh, to to bring the pool online. Can you can you share with us how that worked? Uh so okay, to 
explain the <clears throat> the process. I think I have to uh, give <clears throat> give you the explanation of the parent company of Wave Park. It's called Day One Plus Group. So they started off their business as typical real estate developer in Korea. So they were just building those residential buildings in Korea. But then they expanded their business to more like leisure area, like cable cars and surf pools. So when they were starting their communication with wave garden, they didn't have any knowledge about surfing or there were no people on the board. So I was involved in at the beginning of this uh, communication stage. So I was, uh, so my job was like English communicator and translating all these documents for the contracting with Wave Garden. So, so we started the discussion with Wave Garden. So the chairman was very sure about this idea, bringing this um, soft pool to Korea. But we didn't really have the site for the Wave Pool. So our director at that time he was looking for the land all over the country. But the head company was based in the south area. So the first site was this Busan, which is the the more like um, uh, south part of Korea. But then they found that there is no proper land to install this technology. So they couldn't, so, but they couldn't find a location Yes, for the wave pool. Right, right. But then they... Later, when they talked to the CNC government, they offered this landfill area for our technology installation. Yeah. So what was the area like? What was Sihengsi like before the development? Uh, um, before the development, like, uh, even for me, I lived for like 20 years in Korea, more than 20 years in Korea. I never heard of this city before. So when they say they are going to have give us the land in Xiongxi area, I was thinking like this must be the small province somewhere in the west of country. So when I first visited there, because uh, there's no other things around, but only like small factories and manufacturing areas around. And yeah, yeah, that's, that's most of the the images. There's just the city. Yeah. So it was more like a factory town for the production of goods? Yes. Yes. Correct. Okay. Was it was it famous for any particular item? I don't, I don't know. Shoes, batteries? Uh, I don't know much about their industry part, but they were famous for the, the beach area because it's very close to the west coast of the country. So they have this island, small island called Oido and Debudo. That's that was famous for like tourism for local people. Okay, and and then so once you had this, yeah, once you had this area, um, what happened next? Mm, so what happened next was that so we have we could after finding this land we could finally signed the contract. So we signed the contract for the installation of this 
Waypool machines, but the but then the technological issues and construction issues suddenly came up because the uh, I think because of the land situation that was not like uh, that was the landfill area of above the ocean, so they couldn't really construct or install the piles directly. So that was kind of the first problem that we had. Okay, so it was landfill and you didn't have solid yes. ground to to build and a lot of the on a lot of the development. Right. How did you uh overcome this issue? Uh so I cuz I was the English communicator so I was involved on all this construction or technological issue discussions. So, because we also partnered with Korean construction and engineering company, which are very famous and they were really good at it. So, those three companies, like the Wave Park, an engineering company, and Wave Garden, they keep discussing. And even the engineers from Wave Garden often came to the site to see and how they can solve these problems. So later on, we could solve it. Yes. Okay, and, and working uh, and working with Wave Garden, you you're a translator. Were you working in English or Spanish? Uh, because my professional language is English, so we work on in English, and all those all those documents and the contracts are written in English. But then, yeah, yeah. So, what kind of things were you doing with? with WaveGarden at the time as they were building this wave pool and they needed your expertise and translation. I, I'm sure you had a lot of challenges um, in, in bringing this wave pool to life. So my, my role was translation interpretation, but later I was doing all these technical discussions in payment or the scheduling. But because, like I said just before, I mentioned before that during this time, we didn't hire any surfers or surf coaches. We didn't have anyone. We only had the devices from Wavegarden. And I voluntarily learned to surf among those people. So I pitched the ideas uh, from the surfer's perspective. Like I was a beginner, but... I was giving these ideas to chairman and the people how we can uh, improve or perfectly install these things in Korea. Like, for example, the water heating system that was from uh, my idea that because like Koreans love hot springs and saunas and those cozy stuff. So, uh, I showed him the picture of me enjoying this steamy pool during winter time. Then, yeah, that's that time that he was like so sure about this heating system for bringing into this wave pool. So that was my job. I've heard a lot about the heating, the heating at Wave Park, and how it doesn't uh, make it. A lot of people once they hear that. It's heating. They they think that it's going to be eighty degrees Fahrenheit all the time, but it's not that hot. It's it's you still have to wear a wetsuit. 
And uh, could you share with us uh, how how the heating system at Wave Park in South Korea works? Uh, so at the very beginning, the first year that we have started this heating system, it was actually 18 degrees Celsius. So it was like small event we had once for the Christmas. So we heated up the water by 18 degrees Celsius and we had the coaches and the surfers. They were only wearing their swimsuits like bikini or just only one swimsuit without wetsuits. So they could surf that time and the water was really steamy. But after that, that because of, you know, that all the cost and expenses that we had to lower the degrees of the water. So now they could only go for like uh, 10 degrees Celsius during winter time. But you still have to wear wetsuits, but only for like three or four millimeters is okay. And you don't have to wear the gloves or the boots. And how the heating system works is uh, this heating system is recycling the wasted heat from the nearby factories. So we still need to pay for this, uh, the cost, but it's much less and much sustainable way. Okay. Yeah, we, we ran a story on that. Just super interesting um, how it's it's waste from trash that that's burned and the uh, offsetting heat is recaptured. Is Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Okay, and then so you have the warm water, it's being used, the facility is built. It was one of the largest, it still might be the largest wave garden coves around. It's got 56 modules, I believe. And how did that decision come about to make it such a large, yeah, to make it such a, a, a large wave pool? So when we were discussing the size of the cove at the time, the wave garden didn't really have the commercial wave pools they already opened. So we were like very first module, uh first model they launched after they launched the cove. Uh but this parent company of Wave Park, they had the experience that built the Asia's or the Korea's tallest residential building back in two thousand ten something. So they wanted to build the Asia's first and the largest one. So they they keep saying to Wave Garden that we have to make the big one. We don't just make the surf pool, but we are making this largest in Korea and also in the Asia. So they installed these 56 modules and also the Bay Area, we make it really larger than other Wave Another thing I wanted to get at was um, you had told me about a term, minmul. Um, could you, for our listeners who aren't familiar with uh, neo-surf culture in Korea, what what does minmul mean and how do you say it? Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. And I, I find it fascinating as a as a term and its cultural implications, what what exactly does it does it mean to you and other surfers? Uh, so, so I think that uh, the correct pronunciation is "minmul surfers," 
este Minwu. Min, Minwu. Yes, Minwu. <laughs> yeah, Minwu means just tap water or because the wave pool is using this chlorinated clean water. We call this Minwu. And this wave park course, they started making this term and they are specifying themselves as Minwu surfers. And those Minwu surfers are like, they are regular surfers. They're coming to wave park. And besides they're coming to uh, coming regularly to wave park, they develop some standout features like um, uh, they, they are regulars, which also translate to regular spending. So these guys don't jet off to other countries for looking for better waves because they can just find the perfect wave at wave park. So their money straight go, straightly go into wave park sessions and their fancy surfboard and wetsuits. Okay, so if we were out surfing and you pointed to someone and you said, oh, they're mean mood, uh, what would be some of the, the key giveaways that that is a tap water or wave pool surfer? Uh, they have really nice gear. They wouldn't be able to duck dive. What do these types of surfers, um, what are some of their giveaways? Uh, from... The, uh, from the appearance, I think. But I have to bring this story because I heard in on your podcast episode there was Oscar from Brazil. From Praia de Grama. Yeah, he was talking about the typical surfers images back in 2013 when they started discussing surf pool in Brazil. He said that all the surfers are like tattooed, chain smoking, and lazy dude. <laughs> so... If that's a typical type of image of surfers, the Mimu surfers are just something else, just different level. Like they're very clean. Uh, from their look, you, you can't see their surfers. They don't really have the tanned skin because they care about their skins. <laughs> <laughs> and they have the wetsuit, really fancy and expensive one. And their surfboards are really the nice one. That's that's fascinating, and, and it yeah, it al almost seems from a business standpoint that would be valued by wave pools and surf parks. But the interesting thing is, throughout this whole process, as more wave pools and surf parks come online, um, and they're expanded across the world, is how much they embrace past surf culture. You know, because we know we use it to sell everything from beer to board shorts and how much they kind of embrace the, the newness of uh, wave pool surf. And here in Korea, it's, it's really just fascinating to, to watch the culture evolve. Um, you have surfers like uh, Gina Kim, uh, the resident pro at Wave Park, and she's been surfing for 10 years, but she says... Uh, surfing's been around in Korea for about the same amount of time. Does does Korea have any of the the old uh, stereotypes of uh, pot smoking hippie surfers? Oh, uh, I think what the Oscar had uh, described about the surfers' images that's similar when we before we had this wave park. 
when I, because they were only staying in the ocean area, like beach area. When I go to beach area for to learn surfing, I saw those typical surfers in Korea. They were like, like a hippie types. Like they had long, even their guys, they have long hairs, long, long beards, and they have really dark and tan skins. And their shoes, like barefoot or just flip flops. <laughs> yes. And I don't know, maybe they're playing footbag or hacky sack or something like that. Um, right. right. Okay. I, I get that. So, the really fascinating thing from our position is we've watched a lot of different surf cultures evolve and change because there is a wave pool at the center of the surf scene. So, in Korea, have your surfers at the coast? Has has Wave Park impacted them? Has it helped them? Are they are they using it? Uh, of course, the big change is that the surge of surfing population in Korea. Like my eyes might be glued to Wave Park, but those numbers are skyrocketing. Uh, even Wave Park or in the ocean, and uh, except for those member surfers emergence. But we also have like uh, professional surfers. They're really doing great. Cause, and also, mm, that's because Wave Park uh, last month, they hosted this international event, World Surf League, the QS event. Mm, that helped a lot for surfers improving the skills. So it's not just about more people riding the waves, but it's about them stepping up their games. Uh, because I see a lot of fresh new faces in the reef area. Like you have to do, you have to know how to surf by yourself. And beside all those surfers, mm, the surfing industry is also blowing up. That I'm talking about the sports repair shops or even the surfboard shapers and the surfing photographers or underwater videographers. Uh, like for example, at Wave Park, uh, there's a guy uh, running his surfing repair shop. He comes to Wave Park to pick up the boards and fix them and delivers them back to park. It was very convenient and easy for the customers. And also we have like professional photographers and underwater videographers only doing for these surfing photographies. So they are turning these pictures or surfing moments into an art form. Like it's, it's a whole new, a uh, whole new talent, I think. Wow. So the surfers of Korea have this new asset uh, to access. How has that changed, if it has in fact changed, the lineups along the coast? Like you mentioned, you're going to Yang Yang. Uh, will you, when you paddle out, will you see things differently today than you would have uh, a year ago or two years ago because of Wave Park? Uh, so for these changes, I asked some of my friends who are going to the Wave Park. They said before the Wave Park, all those peoples in Korea, they most of them were the longboard riders. But now we can see a lot of shortboard riders a lot because those waves 
that created it at the wave park, like banner waves or turn waves, are they're just perfect for shortboarding. And in the ocean area, because we don't really have the nice, perfect waves all the time, so we usually have the longboard, a lot of longboard surface. But but I'm seeing a lot of more like shortboard surfers, like they're like main majority of them. Fascinating. And going back to surf culture of the past here in Korea, is there any animosity or resentment among the in the surf community? Is everybody still pretty open and chill? Or is it like places elsewhere around the world that get real crowded where people tend to get more aggressive with each other and not as welcoming? Um, that's my personal opinion is that because I'm not like, so I'm not like, like very open or brave. So when I go to the ocean, I'm still afraid or I'm not really familiar with those local peoples at the beach area who claims to this beach is their beach, like they're locals. So they're sometimes are very aggressive or they're not giving any giving off their wave for newcomers. But since uh, after the wave park, those wave park Mimu surfers are more mild and they're patient for because they don't have to fight for the waves. They just have to wait for their turns calmly. So I think their their attitudes for newcomers are becoming changing slowly, I think, yes. <laughs> I know there are a lot of good surfers coming out of Korea now, more than 10 years ago, obviously. There's uh, Gina Kim, she's a fantastic longboarder. There's Kanoa Palmiano, who's just a, a great uh, Grom, now a junior surfer. When when I was in Waco, I met a kid, uh, Kyan Yang. His parents are Korean. He grew up in Encinitas. Um, to to put you on the spot, is is there like this sense among Korean surfing, like like we're doing great things? Uh, where are we going? Um, but what's the vibe like? For Korean surfing, going, uh, I'm not like professional surfers, but in my personal perspective, uh, I feel really mm, like I'm not. I did uh, for the last event, the last WSLQS event. Uh, we had like three thousand shortboard and one thousand longboard events at the same time. But for the shortboard, all those Korean good surfers they didn't really get into this final heat, but. In the longboard sessions, uh, like Gina and uh, Sujin or Ka even Kanoa went into the final heat. So I was really happy that they were in the ranking of the top ranking, but still the top spots went to Japanese surfers, but it's not just about the who won it. But after this big event, I'm pictured that those Korean surfers still have the chance to win this international event in the in the upcoming time. So I'm sure there's another one coming, like WSL event is keep going on, and we also have the Olympics coming. 
So I'm sure they are just eyeing on this winning this one spot in some times later. So do you think as this WSLQS event returns each year to Wave Park, do you feel that uh, we'll see more and more Korean surfers placing higher up? I know Kai and Yang got second place in in the men's. Uh, I think so. Yeah, because uh, before the WSL, the Wave Park is hosting a lot of local competition events, and during this event, we also had like there. Some of them were not really the professional surfers, but they really got the high ranking and they even entered the, uh, they even secured a position at the WSL. So we Park will definitely hold, host another event for the W, like WSL or other events in the later time. And of course, the Korean surfers will get the, the top prizes sometimes. <laughs> and it's winter now, and Wave Park is closed up until April. One of our favorite topics on Wave Pool Mag is seasonality, how surf parks can best use uh, the different seasons and keep the pool filled with with clients. Um, do you see anything changing at Wave Park to where it would be open year-round? Would there ever be enough of a demand uh, from the surf community to warrant opening in winter? Uh, for, yes, the, all those people and the memory server, they're waiting for the weight park to open year round. And, but, uh, not because of the cost or expense, but because of their location, which is very stick to the West coast. That's like a really cold area during winter time. So even we run this heating system like 24 hours, the water is not enough to get warmed up. The The air is like freezing. So so how they are just responding this is that Wave Park launched a new program during winter time. They have those um, uh, Philippine surf camping program, but they are bringing those Wave Park surf coaches to the camp. So during winter time, because they are closing, but those surf coaches are just hosting another surfing camp in the Philippines. Oh, wow. So when winter time uh, hits Korea, the Korean surf community heads to the Philippines to to stay warm and, and keep, yes, yes. <laughs> keep active. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, I want to thank you very much for taking time out and joining us here and sharing the story of Wave Park and, and your story and in the big picture, South Korean surfing. And it's just really fascinating, uh, especially as it evolves. I, I can't wait to see uh, where we are next year. Yes. Thank you for having me today.